Well, this is our third lesson. We call this a basic leadership formula. And again, as I am scientifically minded and scientifically trained, I like formulas. I like things spelled out. I like bullet points. I like outlines. I know how to flow with the Holy Ghost, but I also like things just, just clear. You know, I can read between the lines, but if I don't have to, why should I? Just tell me what to do. I'm a good follower. And so when we talk about a basic leadership formula, we're talking about, you know, A plus B plus C equals success. And in this formula, which we'll spell out from the Word of God, it's just common sense. And so as you read it, you say, well, that's common sense. But we also want to keep in mind, once again, let me reiterate, God's called every one of us to leadership. So you cannot diminish it and think, well, this is for pastor, or this is for preachers in training, or this is for the Fortune 500 gal or guy. This is for every one of us, whether you're a single mom, whether you're a widowed grandmother, every one of us is called to some form of leadership, and God is going to judge us one day. Uh, there is a day of reckoning coming where he's going to reckon with us, and we're going to have to give an account. For some of you, that day's coming sooner than others. Some of you are older. You'll meet God before I do if the rapture tarries. And so we want to be prepared to have something to show to the Lord. And leadership is one of those great things. Let's look at this. Life is defined by accomplishments. All right, that's pretty common sense. And accomplishments require leadership. If you've ever accomplished anything in your life, it either required somebody's leadership over you or you leading something. If you won uh, the Junior World Series as a kid, that took leadership uh, over your life to lead you as a peewee baseball player to the Junior World Series or whatever they call it. If you ever got straight A's, that took leadership, probably your parents' leadership to make you do your homework, maybe your leadership over your own life to discipline yourself to submit to that. Anything worth li in life worth accomplishing is going to take leadership. And I, again, one of the things that breaks my heart is to be a, la a pastor and a leader and watch folks live a life that never accomplishes anything because it's a wasted life. And God didn't give us life. He didn't give us breath. He didn't, didn't give us the word of God for us to accomplish nothing. Now, the world understands that, and it goes and accomplishes many things for themselves and their fleshy desires and carnality. We don't seem to get it so much in the church. At least a lot of folks don't. Maybe it's just our region. But God's given us such great power and authority and ability to accomplish something for him so that when we're dead, the preacher doesn't have to make up pleasantries to eulogize us. But our life speaks for itself. And so we need to keep this in mind. Leadership requires the same simple formula, regardless of whether you are leading yourself on a diet, you are leading a company to success, you're leading a family through life, an army into battle, or an individual to Christ. Without these simple ingredients, you will go nowhere fast. So these simple formulaic ingredients. Everyone is called to lead in some capacity or another. Here is a basic formula for successful leadership. All right, you ready for our formula here? Very basic. Number one, vision. You have to have vision. If you don't have vision, I mean, you bump into stuff. I remember growing up, dad was always busy as an engineer, young engineer. Now that I look back, he was in his early 30s when we were eight, nine years old. And he was always busy, so he didn't know really how to raise us. I remember one morning, though, 
he had gone to the grocery store. Mama was working like 11 to 7 hospital shift, so she'd go to work when we went to bed and come home right when we were getting up and then go to sleep. So there was a season where or dad was raising us in the mornings, getting us ready for school, and dad was not good at it. But there was one morning when he had gone and discovered bacon cheese grits, and he made it for us, and it was awesome. And what we, my brother and I said, oh, dad, these are good. He said, I, I did good? These are good, dad. He said, well, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while. <laughs> I remember that to this day. At the house in Knoxville, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while. Well, you found a good acorn, dad. <laughs> Without vision, you're just going to bump through life and maybe you'll have a success. Maybe serendipity will hit you and you'll have something to show for it or maybe not. But if you don't have a vision, how will you know when you accomplish something? How will you measure your life without vision? So leadership first and foremost requires vision. This kind of vision is not a dream, nor is it a supernatural insight into the spirit realm. We're not talking about these kind of visions. You know, I got a dream. I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a little dream. No, or I had a vision. It's not the kind of vision we're talking about. We're talking about foresight. You see what you want to accomplish. You see what you don't have, but you need to get it done. That's the kind of vision we're talking about. This is the ability, and this is based on just a dictionary, the ability to think or plan the future with imagination and wisdom. I love that definition. The kind of vision we're talking about here is not supernatural visions. It's not dreamy, daydreamy visions. We're talking about the ability to think or plan the future with imagination and wisdom. Not just imagination, but wisdom. To think or plan the future. So you got to be able to see further than tomorrow. Now, we don't worry for tomorrow. And, of course, Matthew 6 says, take no thought for tomorrow. But he's talking about in terms of worrying. The Bible is very clear. You have to plan for tomorrow. Uh, We'll see that here in a second. So we're not contradicting Jesus because then Jesus wasn't contradicting himself either. We understand we have to look longer and further than just tomorrow. Poverty tends to only think about today. Is that right? And they live hand to mouth. Or as we say, they live paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck to paycheck is poverty. You can be making 100 grand a year and be living paycheck to paycheck and it's still poverty. Because you don't know how to live beneath your means. So vision is much bigger than just Friday. Vision is much bigger than tomorrow. Vision is a year or two or three down the road. A vision is necessary to keep your life productive and to expand God's kingdom in the earth. The opposite of vision is the parable in Luke's gospel where he said, I will take my ease. I have built tremendous barns and I have great wealth. What should I do now? I know what I will do. I will take my ease. That's the opposite of vision. And Jesus said in that parable, the Lord would require that man's soul of him that night. He, Pastor Vaughn would always teach it, that man lost his mind. When your soul is taken from you, you're not talking about going to hell or heaven. You're talking about losing your mind, your will, and your emotions. The second you take your ease, you lose your soul. Not to damnation. You just go crazy. Because when you have no purpose, when you have no, no reason to live, what is that? I, I've read lots of stories of POW, some of my favorite books to read. I'm, I'm more of a nonfiction reader than I am science fiction or fiction. I'd rather read real stuff. And I like to read survival stories, stories about people who just wouldn't quit. So reading lots of stories about POWs in several different uh, arenas of war. I read about one in Vietnam, just so he wouldn't go crazy, he planned and built his whole house in his mind for three or four years in captivity. 
And by the time he came out, he had all the numbers reckoned in his mind, how many two by fours he'd need, how many sets of nails he'd need. Just, he just did it. He envisioned it because it gave him purpose. Amen. That's how you keep from going crazy. If you have nothing to live for, if you have no vision, no foresight, you just breathe in air waiting to die. So this man, to pass the time as a prisoner of the Viet Cong, he in his mind was able to say, all right, okay, I've got the front porch done. Let's see, that was, that was 15 two-by-tens, and then and I'm going to have this far, this is the spacing. And he just, he just kept going over it and over it and over it in his mind for years until he had all the numbers memorized. I don't know if he ever built it, but it kept him from going crazy. Look at Proverbs 29, 18a. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Go backwards, withdraw, cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, where you have no future plan, where you have no uh, plan for the future with imagination and wisdom, you will go backwards. You will withdraw. You will cast off restraint. You know, if you have a vision to get in shape, you don't eat that extra cupcake. If you have a vision to save money, you don't waste it on a thing of Coca-Cola's. You say, no, I can drink water. But when you have no vision, you just you have no reason to control anything. It's just, you're just a, a loose mess everywhere you go. Vision it keeps your life so polished and so together. You have a reason for everything you do. And without a vision, the Hebrew is very clear, you'll cast off restraint. But when you have a vision, you know why you do everything you do. You don't eat ho-hos and ding-dongs every chance you get because I'm on a mission. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to make the team. I'll make the track team. I'm going to get under this weight. I'm going to get in my miracle pants. <laughs> I was talking to somebody, and they, uh, they said, I I'm gaining weight, Pastor. I said, well, what you do is you get a pair of pants, and those are your limit pants. They said, I've exceeded the limit pants. <laughs> For me, you know, my limits are my suits because I don't, you know, suits are too expensive to just keep expanding in. So when I start to feel snug in the suit, I go, all right, time to start running a little bit more. Time to start dialing it back. Satisfied, indolent, slothful people always seem to lack vision. Satisfied. You can never be satisfied. Indolent, you indolent fool. Slothful people, they always seem to lack vision. You ever seen a hoarder? What do they live for? You don't ever see skinny hoarders either. They're not just stockpiling junk, they're stockpiling energy because you never know when you might need it because it's hard going through all those glass figurine collectibles beside all the stuff you picked up and all the airbrush this and airbrush t-shirt that yeah they always seem to lack vision hungry fervent motivated people are always abounding in vision so our first ingredient to leadership whether you're leading yourself or you're leading a church or you're leading a family or you're leading a tour guide or you're leading a field trip or you're leading a class is you've got to have vision. Even for Sunday schools, what's your vision for the class? As a department head in our church, what's your vision for your department? And for your marriage, what's your vision for your marriage? If you don't have one, like Brother Hagin said, what do you believe in God for? Nothing in particular. Well, that's exactly what you'll get. It's nothing in particular. Vision is faith. Where are you going? Well, nowhere in particular. Well, how will you know when you get there? I don't know. I guess I thought I'd see a burning bush. No burning bush for you. Get a vision. Plus, as, as we've been seeing, we've taught for a while, you can't steer a parked car. So uh, what are you waiting for? At least with a vision, you say, here's a parked car. There's where I want to go. Let's kick it down the hill and see how we get there. 
But if you just stay parked your whole life, well, that's what you have is a parked life. So an effective vision includes this. Knowing where you want to go. These are the parts of a vision. Where do you want to go? What is the destination? This is destination. If it's a weight loss, what's, what's, the, what's the goal? If it's muscle mass, what's the goal? If it's strength training, what do you want to bench press? I'm going for 225. If it's money, I, I want to get $1,000 in an emergency fund. If it's investments, I, I want to have 50000 in my 401k before I'm 30. What, what's your destination? What are you aiming for? Because if you don't know, then what's your metric by which you measure success? So many Americans anymore, because we're afforded great prosperity and great benevolence and great benefits just through the nature of our country, they have no goals, no ambitions. They just exist off of the slopover blessing of hardworking people. And your life could make so much more accomplished if you actually knew where you wanted to go and you could measure it. So you have to have a destination. Your second point is knowing why you want to be there. This is the purpose or the motivation. Why do you want to save that money? Why do you want to teach the kids this? Why do you want to take a mission trip there? We know where we're going on our mission trip, but why? We know we want to have more intimacy in our marriage, but why? Well, because it's a good thing. And that's, sometimes the, the motivation is just simply because it's right. Knowing when you want to get there, this is the deadline. If you never set a deadline, you, you'll just die wishing. Die wishing you were skinnier. Die wishing you had more money. Die wishing you had a better marriage. Die wishing you had better kids. So if you don't set a deadline, how will you ever accomplish it? Now, all these things work to put constraints on our flesh. Now, coming back, let me just kind of do a brief general teaching on the law. The law is not for those that are spiritual. But did you know your flesh is never spiritual? The law is to put a constraint on sinful flesh and make it accomplish something when otherwise it would do nothing. So our hearts are not constrained by the law. It's written in our hearts. But we, 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 we put down laws like this to make our flesh get up and run an extra mile, to make our flesh not swipe that credit card when we want to, to make our flesh set aside money when it doesn't want to. That's why we have these constraints. The law is not, does not perfect us spiritually, but the law does keep our flesh in, in line. And unless you're, until your flesh is kept in check, you will accomplish nothing in life but another calorie, another dollar wasted, another day just flushed down the toilet without anything shown for it. Hasty decision after hasty decision, uh, wondering why your life doesn't ever seem to go anywhere. These, these are the parts of a vision that help us focus and understand what we're aiming at and for. Fourth part, knowing whom you're taking with you. Who does this vision involve or require? Well, it requires fifth grade Sunday school. Or it, it, it requires the youth. We're taking the youth on a mission trip. It requires my wife and my children. It requires just me and my flesh. You have to know with your vision, who does this affect? Because I, I lead lots of stuff. It doesn't affect everybody. Uh, some of it affects two people. Some of it affects five people. Some of it, we had a meeting for Swanee last night. That affects the 13 or so people who were involved in Swanee. So most of you weren't there because it doesn't involve you. Then, then there's times I just lead my wife and my children. So that, that's four people. Then it's just me. Then when we work out in the mornings, it's walrus fit. And so that might be anywhere from four or five to maybe 10 people. So you got to know who does your leadership involve. This helps 
tweak your vision. Every Christian should have an annual vision for this. Now, this is my, this is my firm conviction. Uh, you can't shoot holes in it because it's pretty sound and solid, so just bear with me. Every Christian, I believe, with all of my heart, should have an annual vision. That means for every year. By the end of every year, you should have a vision where you want to walk with God. How much do you want to grow in God this year? You have to have an annual vision for your marriage and your family. Where do you want your marriage to be at the end of this year? Do you want it to be the same as the beginning of last year? What about your kids? You want them to be better? You want them to still speak with the same speech impediment? The beginning of this year, or are you going to actually sit and work with them? You want them to still be the embarrassing kid you can't take out to lunch? Or are you going to actually work with them? Do you want your finances to be the same a year from now? Uh, there's your third point, finances. Or are you actually going to save money this year? Are you actually going to dial back the eating? This is America. We, we went to the, uh, the Dixie Stampede on our vacation. And they come, the first thing they give you, of course, is a big old thing of soup. You don't get anything to eat with it, so you're eating like hillbillies, which I think just saves them cleaning time in the kitchen. <laughs> and the next thing they do, they come down the road and they give you a whole chicken to yourself. I said, a whole chicken? A whole chicken? And then they come and give you, you know, whole corn on the cob, and they give you a huge chunk of ham, and they give you a biscuit. And I said, my God, you're looking around, there's all these fat people there at the Dixie Stampede. I think the stampede refers to them going to the bathroom when they're done. And I said, <laughs> my heart was broken because I'm thinking about, I said, honey, there are people starving to death around the world tonight. She said, well, not here. <laughs> not here, they're not. <laughs> so I've, I've, a whole chicken, little legs tied together, rotisserized. I made sure I ate all of it so nobody would. <laughs> you have to have a vision. You know, dial back your food eating. Dial back your entertainment habit you, for your finances. Otherwise, another year is going to go by and you will have done nothing but just breathe there another 365 years. Something has to change. Something. Your personal health. What do you want to do to improve your personal health? Now, honestly, you stick around long enough, they'll do more tests and research and they'll discount everything we grew up with on the 80s and 90s. They're already doing that. Now, fat doesn't matter. It's, I mean, there's no bad fat. It's just, it's just a calorie budget. Now, sugars aren't bad either. And then salt, they just proved salt's not that bad either anymore. So I think we just stick around long enough, the next favor or the next wave and the next, uh, I don't know, fad will blow through and we'll just have stayed right and steady. Where do you want your personal health to be? And your career. Now, obviously, for family, a walk with God comes first, but even your career. Where do you want your career to be a year from now? It glorifies God for you to be a good steward over your career. And if you don't work hard, then that's exactly what you'll have in your life is not much of a career. So famous Bible visions, because I got to get moving here. Noah's Ark. What a vision. 120-year vision. And you look at that. Who did it involve? Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal. What else did it involve? Well, it involved stockpiling a bunch of wood and lumber. It, it, it required a bunch of carpentry. He might have had to spend the first 50 years just learning it. We don't know. We just know it took him about 120 years to build this thing. I mean, you, can, you can be an engineer in four years, but when you've got to invent the engineering, you can build a boat in a year, but when you've got to develop boat building, no wonder it took 120 years. 
And then you, maybe he spent the first 50 years setting up Noah's school of nautical engineering. Graduating class of three, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And their wives were on the cheerleading team. Joseph's food pantry. There's a vision. We're going to feed the world. So we're going to stockpile for seven years. Moses' exodus. There was a vision too. What are we doing? We're getting these Jews out of Egypt. They weren't called Jews yet. They were just called Hebrews. Uh, the seed of Israel. We're going we're gonna to deliver Jacob. That's our vision. Joshua's military campaign. What was, what was his vision? I'm killing everybody who's trespassing. That's the vision. Salvation at Calvary. Talk about a vision. From the time man sinned to the cross was 4,000 years. That's a long-term vision. We can't even think past today. Speaking of which, what are we doing for lunch? The New Testament church, there was a vision. The Lord spoke about it back in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. He said, I have a people you don't know anything about. Talking about the Gentiles coming to the salvation of Jesus Christ. The rapture, that hasn't happened yet. That's a vision. What's the vision? God says, I'm getting my people out of here before I open up the seven vials of wrath. Because I've not appointed my people under wrath. So those are some famous Bible visions. God had something he wanted to accomplish, and they involved all those points we looked at. God knew the destination. He knew his purpose. He knew his deadline. All those things had a deadline. The Exodus had a deadline. Uh, the cross of Calvary in the fullness of time had a deadline. Noah's Ark, 120-year deadline. Uh, Joseph's food pantry, he had seven years, and then it was going to be seven years of famine. There was a deadline. So we see these things fulfill these requirements. All right, your second ingredient, moving along, you, this is certainly worth studying on your own. You need to know the people involved in your vision, the people who were involved in your vision. As a leader, you know, you can't lead nobody. That doesn't make you a leader. That makes you crazy. Amen. Now, unless, of course, the people you're leading is yourself. You've got to lead yourself to bed at night. You've got to lead yourself in prayer. You've got to lead yourself to work. You've got to lead yourself in financial accountability. You've got to lead yourself in your diet. You've got to lead yourself to brush your teeth. There, there might be an app for all of that, but if you don't find the app, program the app, you're still not going anywhere. Leadership doesn't just require someone to lead. It also requires someone to follow. Whether you are leading yourself a.k.a. a disciplined life, or leading someone in prayer, leadership requires other people. So here I quote my pastor, Dr. Barclay, 70% of leadership is being able to lead yourself. This is why I'm fully convinced most people will never be in leadership positions because they do not successfully lead themselves. Others lead them. And they're, they're good followers, but they don't know how to do it unless they're being told. They don't know how to do it unless they're being told. They can keep a department at church clean because they're led, but they can't keep their own home clean. They can do the dishes at the, uh, you know, they, they're maybe they're a great bus boy at the restaurant they work at because they're being led, but they can't keep their own dishes clean at that apartment because they don't know how to lead themselves. So 70%, Dr. Barclay says, 70% of leadership is being able to lead yourself. Before there is leadership, there is followship. You've got to be able to follow. Everyone begins learning leadership by following the leaders in their lives. Your boss, well, first your mom and dad, then maybe grandparents and school teachers, pastors, youth leaders, children's workers, uh, your bosses, your employees, your professors. Every one of us from the time we're born, we are under leadership. 
the keen mind watches how those folks lead and begins to take on their traits. The dull mind doesn't even notice anything's going on. But the keen mind, the sharp mind says, so, so that's how you do that. So that's, that's how you do that. Oh, and then you can even see it in little children. The little keen minds, they begin to lead their kids in playtime. And we have to be careful they don't become bossy. Where do they learn to be bossy? By keenly watching leadership. Bossiness is not a bad thing. You have to harness it. You know, bossiness is rude and we, we deal with that. But I'd much rather have a child be bossy that you can harness than a kid who's just cowering in the corners. Because it's easier to curb and restrain leadership manifesting as childish bossiness than it is to breathe courage and confidence into a kid scared of a ladybug. Amen. All right. Those who are interested in leadership will keenly watch the leaders in their lives in order to learn. Those who never learn, never lead. If you learn leadership, God will promote you by placing people under you. If you will learn how to lead, God will promote you by putting people underneath you. And God wants to put people under every one of us. This kingdom is infinite. There's always going to be new folks coming into the kingdom that God wants to set you over so they can learn how to be better Christians. But, of course, that requires that you and I are better Christians. God's not going to put followers in charge of people. God's going to put leaders in charge of people. And once your life becomes an epistle of leadership, an epistle that can be read of how to follow God, God will promote you and he'll draw people to you and they'll, they'll get to look up to you and you'll get to lead them. But until you do that, You'll just, you'll just always be in a following position. One of the hard statements I always make around here is if you've been here two or three or four or five or ten years and you're not leading something, why not? One of two reasons. Either you don't want to lead or you don't know you can lead. Maybe a third one. I always change it up. Maybe there's five reasons. I don't know. It's not etched in stone anywhere. That'd be legalistic, you know. You know, either you don't know you can lead or you have no heart for leading or you don't want to. But really, even as Hebrews 5 says, I wish you could be teachers by now, but you're not. You have become as those that have need of milk. They backslid. And Christians can do the same thing today as well. So God wants all of us to rise up and to be great leaders. People are needed to fulfill every kind of vision. So when you have a vision, and, and you're going to have to get people to help you do it, even when I have a vision that's just for me, whether it's losing weight or getting better at a skill, I always have to involve somebody because I don't know how to do it by myself. So I might grab a hold of somebody and say, show me how to do this. And I lead them, come over here with me, even as a pastor, come over here. Now here, you teach me. How do I, how do, I do my computer like this? How do I build this thing? How do I handle this? Even if the vision just involves you alone, you're probably going to have to involve somebody else to help you. How do I put on more muscle mass? How do I get a better budget working? How do, I, how do I control my temper? How do I learn to play this instrument? Even when the vision just benefits you and you alone, you're probably going to have to lead somebody or go find somebody to help you get better at it. But it always involves people. Ecclesiastes 4 in the New Living Translation says, two people are better off than one. Don't you love just simple, profound wisdom like that? For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
That's what's called a paraphrase because it just <laughs> simplifies it for the, I don't know, for the knucklehead. If you fall by yourself, you're in real trouble. Well, thank you. That is profound. But sometimes God has to spell it out for us. They say the Bible's written at the eighth grade level. Maybe the eighth grade level 100 years ago, not today's eighth grade level, but eighth grade level nonetheless. Famous Bible followings. So we talked about famous Bible visions. Let's talk about famous Bible followings. Shem, Ham, and Japheth followed Noah. They were part of the construction team. You can't build a boat by yourself. Sarah followed Abraham to Canaan. Wives, you have to pray diligently for your husband because he's the one God's going to speak to. Husbands, do not let your wives steer your home. The, the American woman is full of so much guile, subtlety, deception, and immaturity. She doesn't mean to be. But you are a product of 60 years of feminism and demonism and lesbianism. Furthermore, Jesus Christ even said it in the garden. Woman, you will always want to rule over him. It's just part of the sin nature. So husbands, you must grow this thing called a spine. It's attached to the voice. And you must bring your wife into check. Furthermore, there's this beautiful verse. Where is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, let the women be silent in the church. For it is a shame for them to speak, even as it says in the law. And if they will learn anything, let them go home and ask their husbands. So it's not about women not preaching because the Greek word for woman and wife is the same. Not every woman is a wife, but every wife is a woman. So the context is wives talking in church, trying to figure out what's going on. And Paul rebuked the Corinthian church and said, tell your wife to shut up. If she has questions, ask at home so she doesn't disrupt the service. It means the wives are asking to learn. So good thing the Corinthian women had going. They wanted to learn. They didn't want a boss. They wanted to learn. But that also means husbands, you ought to be smart. You should have the answers. And not just this kind of spineless jellyfish. You know, when your backbone goes, so does your voice. And have a voice that says, honey, that's not what we're doing. Straighten up. Just, I, my wife and I were believing God for something right now. And I said, honey, I'm about to uh, execute executive orders here. I'm going to command you. You're going to speak to this thing 30 minutes a day, whether I can pray with you or not. Understood? Yes, sir. So whether I can be with you or not, I'm commanding you. You're going to pray about this thing 30 minutes a day. We've got to get this thing done. Yes, sir. Husband's tri triumphing order. And watch it work. Yeah. Well, how are you to tell me what to do? I'm your husband. Who are you to question? Again, some of us as American, and some of you as American women, you still think you have a voice in this thing. As a man, I don't have a voice in this thing when it comes to God. There's only serve or rebel. So our, our freedoms gave birth to, to bastard ideologies of rebellion. I have a say. Not when it comes to being a slave, you don't. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're bond slaves, bond servants. He commands us. We obey. All right. So Sarah followed Abraham. 75 years old. She was 70. And he said, we're leaving. Well, we're retired. 
Oh, this is our family. Who am I going to play pinochle with? Who am I going to crochet with? She didn't say any of that. She said, yes, Lord. Or we'd say, yes, sir. And she followed him out of her comfort zone. Uh, Flesh loves a comfort zone. Egypt followed Joseph's plan for provision in time of famine. Joseph's vision took a whole nation's help. That's a big vision. Not just any nation, the most prominent nation on the planet. Israel followed Moses out of Egypt. The mighty men of valor followed David. Elisha followed Elijah. The disciples followed Jesus. Paul's body followed Paul's commands. I keep my body under. So even if it's just you leading yourself, your body has to follow you. Otherwise, it runs you. Brother Summerall said, your spirit man is to be king. Your soul is to be a servant. And your body is to be a slave. He said, but most Christians have it totally reversed. Their flesh is God. Their soul is a servant and their spirit man's a slave to whatever their flesh wants. He really was just teaching on the carnality of man. Sometimes you got to get to a place where when your flesh wants something so badly, you say, just for that, you're never getting it the rest of your life. So you want a Cinnabon, huh? Boy, you want it bad, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. Just for that, we take a vow of Cinnabon celibacy the rest of our life. We will not touch a Cinnabon as long as this earth remains just to keep your flesh under. Amen. The plan. All right. So we got vision. We got people. Now what's the plan? I got to move quick here. Leadership requires a plan. A vision alone is not enough. Fulfilling the vision requires a plan. An effective plan answers each point of the vision. So the plan answers the points of our vision. How will I get to my destination? Okay. How am I going to get there? Car? Am I going to get there through prayer? Am I going to get through their digging? Building, saving, what, what is the motive or the mode? How am I getting to the destination that the vision requires? How will I make the time deadline? So uh, we must, uh, what must I do every day to make this vision come to pass? So the second point of a plan is how are you going to meet the time deadline? If I want to lose 50 pounds by the end of the year, let's see, that means that's, I got to lose 10 pounds a month. What am I going to do to lose 10 pounds a month? Let's see, that's two and a half pounds a week. What am I going to do to lose two and a half pounds a week? Well, there will be no Cinnabons, Ho-Hos, or Ding-Dongs, Mountain Dews, coffees, or Espressos. There will be lots of running every day, carrots, fruits, and vegetables. That is how I will lose 50 pounds before January 1st. And it can be done if you want to. How will I save $1,000 before the end of the year? Let's see, that's $250 a month. Let's see, that's about $50 a week. How will I save $50 a week? No Cinnabons, Ho-Hos, Ding-Dongs, coffees, Mountain Dews, cappuccinos, eating out. It will be carrots, well, look, you get skinny and you save money. <laughs> a bird in the hand's worth two in the cage, I suppose, or something like that. So deadlines, checkpoints, sacrifice, discipline, etc. How will I motivate those I am leading? All right. So I got folks who are part of the plan. How am I going to motivate them? My employees, my spouse, my children, my soldiers, my congregation. How am I going to motivate them? My own body. How am I going to motivate it? Some people put, uh, when they want to lose weight, they put pictures up of what they want to look like. You know, that's, that's what I want to look like. Or some folks, they, they put a dollar amount up on their dashboard or something. This is how much money we want to save. So every time I get tempted to eat lunch and then go buy a second lunch, that's what I did when I worked at the zinc mine. My wife would pack me a lunch every day. I'd eat it during the morning. And the guys would say, let's go, get, go to the meet and three. How can I say no to the meet and three? I wonder how I got up to 205 in six months. 205? <laughs> My little jumper was kind of snug, you know. (laughs) 
can I get a bigger tool belt? <laughs> you don't you, you, you gain weight and you lose money going to the beaten three after you've already had a lunch your wife packed. Is the vision still important to me? Here's a really critical one. Some people start off out of the gate very excited, but they lose heart. And if you quit your vision, you never get your vision. So you have to constantly reevaluate, is this still important to me? Is this still important to me? Is, is getting my family here still important to me? Is getting my mind sane still important to me? Is taking this vacation still important to me? There are certain things you get a vision for, things you just want that by the time you get ready to buy it, you just don't even want it anymore. Anybody ever done that? You know, like you really think you want this thing and you, you save up for it and by the time you get ready to buy it, eh, that's why saving is good because you don't buy it on a whim and hate it after six months. You spend six months saving for it. You go to buy it. You don't want it anymore. And guess what? Now you've got 500 bucks you can do something else with. Is the vision still important to me? Have I lost heart? How will I maintain heart in the midst of the journey? What if it takes me a year to get what I want? What if it takes me five years to get what I want? Who's faithful that long anymore? Who can wait that long anymore? Not in a nation who gives us anything instantly on credit. Not when you can get married the same day you meet somebody. That's weird and messed up. So famous Bible plans. Noah's Ark. A Bible plan for saving man and animal kind. Moses' construction team for building the tabernacle. David's many battle plans for defeating the Philistines. Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah's teams for reestablishing Israel. Jesus' discipleship for building apostles to start the church. Even the Son of God had plans. Who does it involve? What's my vision? How am I going to get there? Jesus had three and a half years to train those men up. That's not very long. He had 30 years to prepare for three and a half years of ministry. The drive and ambition. Here's our final ingredient. So we had vision, we had people, we have plan, then we have drive. The final necessary ingredient to the leadership equation is drive and ambition. This is the one that this region lacks in spades. This is the one some of you lack. You have a big want to, but you lack drive. The final necessary ingredient to the leadership equation is drive and ambition. It is possible to have vision, have the people, have the plan, but lack the ambition. Without ambition or drive, a vision is nothing more but a pipe dream. Without the drive and the ambition, your vision is just a pipe dream. You'll never obtain it. You'll just keep dreaming, keep hoping, keep wishing. Without the ambition. Uh, Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. So lazy people, they have a want to. They may even have a plan, but because they're lazy, they have nothing. The soul of the diligent, though, they get what they want. The sluggard can have a vision and even a plan without diligence, fed by ambition. They will never see it come to pass, Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tends only to penury or poverty. So you can talk about your vision. You can talk about what you're going to do. You can talk about the people. You can talk to the people. You can have your people more fired up than you. But in the end, if all you ever do is talk, poverty, penury. You get nothing out of it. Talk is cheap, and apparently it bankrupts. At some point, you have to stop talking and start doing, whether you're leading a Sunday school class. Again, don't just think about you and losing weight or you and saving money. Think about your Sunday school class. Think about leading someone to Christ. 
If we had more time, we'd, we'd run this scenario through every, or this formula through every scenario of leadership. How it works in leading someone to Jesus Christ, you have a vision for them. I'm getting them to the cross of Calvary. Who does it involve? Me and them. What's my plan? I'm going to witness to them. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to build their faith, and I'm going to give them an invitation, then I'm going to lead them in prayer. And it takes ambition to do that. It works in every arena. So the balanced equation, here's my last section. And hopefully you'll be able to troubleshoot something in your life, maybe why you've never gone anywhere. I am so determined as a pastor to make sure your life amounts to something more than just American flesh and blood. I want your life to be something great for the kingdom. To do more than just Sunday morning stuff. To do more than just church stuff. To take the kingdom outside of these, these, this building. That's why I harp on this kind of stuff. When we look at this balanced equation section here, you judge yourself and see where you've, where you've got a short circuit or a fuse blown. Leadership requires all four components in order to be successful. If any one component is missing, the equation will fail. So, example number one, you've got vision, you've got people, you've got plan, but you have no ambition. That equals failure due to laziness. All right? Vision, people, plan, but no ambition. You fail because you're lazy. They say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You mean well, but unfortunately, you never get there. Next scenario, you have the vision, you have the plan, you have the ambition, but you don't have any people. A failure due to personal exhaustion. You know, Noah building a boat by himself, you can't do it. You know, or we might say failure due to being crazy. You're leading a school uh, field trip, there's no kids behind you? <laughs> Hi, I'm with so-and-so middle school. I'm here with my class. Security. Oh, I need you here at the check-in station. We have a loony toony here. But if you don't have people helping you, you'll be exhausted. Like with our kids' wing. Not one, no, no one person could do all that by themselves. Took everybody. And 12,000 of their hours. But without that, you can have the plan, you can have the vision. I see a beautiful building. I, I know exactly how we're going to do it in all the stages. And, and we got the money, but no people. We, we'd be totally dead in the water. Vision, next part, and vision plus ambition plus people. So you got the vision. You know where you're wanting to go. You, you got the drive. You got the people chomping at the bits, but you have no plan. Your failure due to wasted time, money, and energy. You got to know how to account for all this stuff. What is your plan? Without a plan, you're going to spin wheels. Without your plan, you're going to waste stuff. Without a plan, you're just kind of going in circles, still hoping for the best. So you got to make sure you have a plan. Well, let's say you got ambition. You got this drive. You got all the people around you. Just tell us what to do. You got a plan, but you have no vision. What are you going to do with all those people? What are you going to do with all that energy? This is, this is toddlers. Toddlers have ambition and they got a whole bunch of people around them and, and they have a plan to expend energy, but they have no vision or purpose. They just go around like the Bohr model of the atom. They're just bouncing into stuff and you have to restrain them and focus that energy to accomplish something. You'll fail due to no purpose. So vision plus people plus plan plus ambition equals hard-earned success and victory. God's still not going to do it for you. You have to work for it. It takes these four critical components. I can't find any additional that it takes. 
I can't see taking one of these out and being successful. You study all these examples from the Bible, they all have these major four components. So may we submit to the Lord's will and find our place as great leaders. This will work to clean your home up. This will work to clean your finances up. This will work to lead your family into a better place. This will work to lead your mind out of crazy Looney Tune thinking. This will work to lead yourself out of fear. This will work to lead yourself away from food. This will work to lead yourself away from overspending. This will work to lead your classroom. This will work to lead you, your neighborhood committee, whatever. But the reason some of us aren't leading is because of one of these four blowouts. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully you can learn to stand on your own. Amen? We learn anything? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Sunday school this morning. May we catch this vision, uh, the plan, uh, catch the people and even the ambition necessary to be successful leaders. Lord, may we glorify you by rising up and being great God-filled, anointed leaders in every arena of the community and life you give us to influence. May we all have leadership about us because we catch it and we do something with it. Father, bless these hearts. Bless these minds. Let the word of God produce great fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.